All right, this evening we want to close out our study book in Ephesians. And uh, then from here on out uh, for a while, we'll be looking at some of the uh, minor prophets. We had started a study of the minor prophets in Sunday school and um, shifting that to our evening services. So uh, take your Bibles this evening and turn to Ephesians and uh, we'll uh, close out our study here tonight uh, in chapter 6. And we're going to get to that uh, part that we know chapter 6 by putting on the whole armor of God. We're going to get to that tonight. So uh, uh, tonight we're going to look at Soldiers in Christ part 3. As we come to this last message of our study in Ephesians, of course, much more could be said. Uh, of all the books that we study, we, we don't exhaust them. The Bible is not uh, something that you just uh, you study the whole thing and you got it down once and for all. But uh, uh, hopefully, it's it's something that we continue to uh, have in mind and study. But uh, uh, here, in chapter six has to do with being a soldier in the Lord's army. We looked at the soldier and his family, the soldier and his work, uh, the soldier and his enemy, and in this study we will look at the soldier and his protection. And again, we think of Ephesians 6, we often think the main thought having to do with what we read in verse 11, and uh, about putting on the whole armor of God. God's Word is telling us to do that in order that we might stand against our enemy in the spiritual battle in which we're engaged. Now last time we identified the enemy, we compared our enemy with the enemies of Joshua in the Old Testament a couple weeks ago, so now we have to kind of refresh our memories. Some of these things uh, escape us in our old age, and uh, I'm including myself there, uh, but uh, uh, he had three enemies, uh, Jericho, Ai, and the Gibeonites, and they're compared uh, to the world the flesh, and the devil. And we saw that our enemy is deceitful. The Gibeonites were certainly deceitful. They fooled Joshua. But more than that, our enemy is strong. Our enemy uh, is uh, strong. That's the reason why we need the whole armor. Our enemy is skillful. It talks about the wiles or the methods, the strategy of our adversary, the devil, and our enemy is spiritual. It's not flesh and blood. But our battle is spiritual. Our enemy is not your spouse. Not your brothers or sisters. Not your teachers. Or for that matter, your pastor. The devil would like us to think that. But those are not the enemy. So notice with me, first of all, tonight, the encounter. The encounter. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. The Bible speaks of believers as pilgrims. Many times we think of ourselves as pilgrims. We're not citizens. We're not uh, citizens of this world. We're actually citizens of heaven, and we're pilgrims. We're kind of walking through the world, and the Bible also speaks of us as witnesses, and uh, we are to go to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, sometimes the, the Bible speaks to us uh, and compares us to athletes. Uh, we're to run the race that is set before us. We're to run with our eyes fixed upon the Lord. And so it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the battle that is going on is a spiritual battle, and the battle that's going on is going on wherever the Word of God is being preached and the Gospel is being given out. That is the battle line today. That's where the enemy is working the hardest. The devil's not working in drinking places. Uh, the devil's not working in gambling places. Uh, the devil's not working in places of pornography and wickedness. He's not fighting that crap. Why? He already has that crap. So he doesn't have to fight them. They already belong to him. But he's fighting those who are trying to rescue that crowd. He's fighting the ones who are preaching the truth of God's word and the ones who are witnessing of the good news of the gospel. Now we need to recognize where the battle is. It's at our own very, very own front door. And it's going on in half-empty pews tonight. Is going on in this pulpit. Satan doesn't want you to hear the truth of God's Word. Now, if there was ever a time to take a stand, it is today. And so we're told to take unto ourselves the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So that's the encounter we have. But secondly, let's get into the equipment. In verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand therefore. Now this is the fourth time he gives this exhortation to the believer. And this is the only place where we find Paul laying it on the line, speaking like a sergeant in the, in the army, and uh, earlier he would say something like this. He said, I beseech you. Can you imagine a sergeant in the marine saying, Men, I beseech you. He's not going to say it that way, is he? But he'll give a command to stand. Not only are we to have a certain armor to protect ourselves, we're not to be outwitted, by the wiles, the methods of the devil. We're to be ready for his attacks. And I want you to notice the equipment that we need to have. First of all, there's the belt. The belt. He says, having your loins girt about with truth. Now an ancient garment of that day, the girdle about the loins held in place every part of the uniform of the soldier. 
It was absolutely essential. To tell you the truth, if the girdle was lost, you lost everything. That could be embarrassing. Uh, the garments would fly open, the pants would fall down, and you could see this routine in, in comedies uh, sometimes. Uh, even on America's Funniest Videos, it used to be that way when they, they were on, and people would laugh to see a man trying to run and fight with his trousers drooping down. And it looks funny to a, in a comedy, comedy routine. Do you know what? It wouldn't be funny in a battle. A great battle in the past, we're told, was won by a clever general who told his men, cut the belts of their enemy while they're sleeping. And the next morning, the enemy troops would be busy holding up their trousers, and they weren't able to shoot their guns, and so they lost the battle. And so we're told here to gird ourselves about with truth in face of the enemy. Truth is that which holds everything together. What is that truth? Well, it's none other but the Word of God. You know, we need people to give out the Word of God and to give it out just as it's written. Today, many people are giving testimonies. Uh, we have... Uh, football players or baseball players or movie stars or television stars and uh, they've gotten religion or they've gotten what they call uh, saved or born again. Many of them do not know very much of the Bible. And we need people whose loins are girt about with truth. They need to know the Word of God. Many times these testimonies that we hear from these well-known people are sometimes thrilling to hear, but they're coming from people who are standing there about to lose their spiritual garments. They're not girded about with the truth, which is God's Word. Every piece of this armor really speaks of Christ. We are in Christ in the heavenlies. We've learned that already here in Ephesians. And we're to put on Christ down here in our earthly walk, Paul has already told us to put on Christ and he's the one who is truth and we're to put him on in our lives. You know, any testimony that does not glorify Jesus Christ should never be given. There are too many testimonies that glorify an individual. Such as, well, I was a great athlete or I was a great performer and I'm not, or I, not and not uh, you know, I'm turning over my talent to Jesus. You know, the idea of that kind of a testimony is the implication there. Believe me, God is lucky to have me in his crowd. I call them bragging moments, not testimonies. Listen, God didn't get very much when he got you, and he didn't get very much when he got me. This is a day when an ordinary person doesn't really have much to say. We get the impression that we need to be someone great in the eyes of the, of the world. No, what we need is to have our loins girt about with truth so we can give a testimony that glorifies Christ because Christ is truth. And truth alone can meet error. And so we need to have the belt. Which is true. Secondly, we need to have the breastplate. 
having the breastplate of righteousness. Now, Christ is the righteousness of the believer. And I believe it includes the practical righteousness of the believer. To be sure, the filthy rags of self-righteousness are useless as a breastplate. Isaiah said all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So it's self-righteousness is really useless, useless. But I do think underneath there should be a heart and a conscience that's right with God. Only the righteousness of Christ can enable a believer to stand before man and before God. But the heart that is to be protected should be the heart that is no uh, is not condemning the believer. It's an awful condition to have sin in the life while we're trying to carry on the battle. When there's sin in our lives, we don't do very well in the battle. And we'll never win the battle that way. We need to have the breastplate of righteousness. Thirdly, we need the boots. It says in verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The soldier's boots are necessary for standing. It speaks of a foundation, a good foundation. We need a good, solid foundation, and preparation is foundational. You know, in hand-to-hand combat, a soldier, soldiers are taught to make sure their feet are anchored. I was never in the military, but I do have some experience as a football player and a football coach. And our young men who are football players can identify with this, and if you were a football player, you probably heard this. In order to make a good block, or to take on a good block, you have to establish a good foundation. Your feet must be firmly set. Now they can't be close together because they'll knock you on, off your off your spot there and they'll knock you on your back. But you need to have your feet spread apart and a good foundation ready to take it on. By the way, ever see a soldier or a football player uh, in gear, wearing flip-flops. I tell you, maybe you're a flip-flop wearer, but uh, I, for the life of me, I can't figure them out anyway. Why anyone would put something between their toes like that. I've, I've been known to say flip-flops are the devil. Now, don't get mad at me, but... Uh, uh, flip-flops are not good for your feet. And it wouldn't be good for a soldier. They wouldn't be good for a football player. Can you imagine one of those Northwoods football players running down with flip-flops and his flips flop? <laughs> Might distract the enemy, the other team, but uh, no, it's not going to work. Now what about your life? Are your feet anchored on the rock. The rock Christ Jesus. You know, Christ is our foundation in this world. No other foundation can any man lay, but that is uh, the one that is laid, Jesus Christ. And so we, again, put on Christ. And oh, how we need Him today as we face a God-denying world and also spiritual wickedness and darkness of this world. You see, the armor of the believer is spiritual armor because we fight against the spiritual enemy. 
Uh, we are to stand in that armor, and that armor is Christ, the living Christ, and Satan himself, over in the book of Job, over in the book of Job, I thought I had it there, but it's not. Uh, the book of Job said in Job chapter 1 verse 10, Hast thou not made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. God will provide protection for us today. But we need a good foundation. And that has to do with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The next piece of equipment is the barrier. He says in verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now the shield covered all of the armor. The shield is referred to as a large shield, probably the, more like the size of a door. <coughs> it was the shield of, a, of the uh, infantry. A soldier stood behind it. He was fully protected. And Christ is both the door to salvation and the door that protects the believer with the enemy without. Turn over to John uh, chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is a familiar uh, passage of Scripture in John. But in John chapter 10... Verse 7, Verily I say unto you, Jesus uh, said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Here's a picture of Christ, not only of salvation, but of security. He says there, it says faith enables us to enter into the door. That's salvation. What about the security? Faith places us securely in his hands. You can go down all the way down to verses 27 and 28 of chapter 10. And uh, notice what it says there. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Faith enables us to enter the door, that salvation. Faith enables us securely to be securely in His hands. And faith enables us to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith also enables us to stand behind the shield which will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, he says, there, take the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. He's shooting them at us fast and furiously. And what if someone comes along who in the world's eyes is very intellectual, very well recognized, and challenge you as to what you believe? What will you do? I remember as a young man in a state university, I wrote and presented a speech about Christianity, about salvation. I gave, basically gave my testimony in that speech. 
in a state university with uh, uh, unsaved kids all around me. But my speech professor scribbled all over my paper. He made a mess up. He shot down everything I said. It was like men like him that would make a person throw up their hands and say, well, what's the use? Maybe I'm wrong. Fortunately, there were also those in my life at that time, another Christian professor that was a great help to me. He was a counselor to me at that time in my life, and that was a time I needed the shield of faith to quench those fiery darts of the wicked. The fiery darts of the wicked one come fast and furiously at times, <clears throat> and they continue to come. The only thing that will bat them down is the shield of faith. Some of you may know that at one time we thought God was calling us to the mission field of Germany. We were appointed with Baptist World Mission set out to raise our support. After visiting 75 churches, raising about 10% of what we needed, we stepped back and reevaluated our call. And I came to realize later we had a burden, a tremendous burden, but we didn't have a call. I remember after we realized that we were not going to be able to make it to the mission field, I went through a great deal of discouragement and wondering what it was that the Lord wanted me to do. And again, I believe the shield of faith was that which helped me to withstand the fiery darts of Satan. Maybe you've not heard of these, uh, uh, this uh, group of men, but they're the hoplites. And you study them in your world history uh, course that you love so much in school. But you may not be familiar with that word or that name. These were heavily armed soldiers in the Greek <clears throat> infantry. Now they could move with tremendous shields in front of them, putting them out in front of them, and they would stand protected shoulder to shoulder while the enemy shot everything out they had at them. And when the enemy was out of ammunition, they would move in and take a certain victory. And that's the way we are to stand against the fiery darts of the wicked one, the evil. And so you have the belt here, you have the breastplate, you have the boots, you have the barrier, and then you have the bonnet. Now I know the bonnet does not sound like equipment for a soldier, does it? But remember, it starts with a B. And all of these start with a B, don't they? It's what you put on your head. Our football coach in high school used to call our football helmets bonnets. Sometimes he called us girls too, but when we didn't do very well, when we were kind of uh, doing doing not so well, but he said, "Put on your bonnets, men. Let's go." Well, take the helmet of salvation here in verse seventeen. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head, and God does appeal to the mind of man. 
Yes, God appeals to the heart, but He also appeals to the intellect. And throughout the scriptures, God uses reason with man. Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Acts 24, verse 25, As he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Paul was reasoning with Felix. He appealed to the mind as well as to the heart, and it would seem that Felix used a common excuse that's used today. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for you. When it's more convenient, I will come to church. When it's more convenient, I'll be concerned about the things of the Lord. The Bible tells us that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There was a theology professor who was a liberal, said many years ago, faith is a leap in the dark. That's not true. God does not ask you to take a leap in the dark. In fact, God says if it is a leap in the dark, don't take it. God wants you to leap into the light. You see, God has a solid foundation for us and how wonderful it is. Christ is the salvation of the sinner. He is the one who received glory in it all. He has made unto us salvation. Matthew 1, 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And even before his birth in Bethlehem, he was marked out as the Savior. Uh, Paul mentions this helmet in connection with salvation in another epistle, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Now all of the parts of the armor mentioned so far have been for defense. Maybe you've been told that, maybe you've noticed that before. You notice everything is in front of the individual. There's really no protection for his back. Nothing is provided for retreat. Okay? You can count on it that a retreating Christian is certainly open season for the enemy. And the enemy is going to get through you. So we have the belt, we have the breastplate, we have the boots, we have the barrier, we have the bonnet. So we come to the last item of protection, and it's an offensive weapon. It's the Bible. It says in verse 17, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Christ is the living Word of God. He used the Word of God to meet Satan in an hour of his temptation. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword in the battle of Armageddon in the book of Revelation. 
And he gains the victory with that sword. What is that sword? It's the Word of God. We need that sharp sword going out of our mouths today. The Word of God is a powerful weapon of offense. And you and I are to use it. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I wonder how much time are we spending in memorizing Scripture so that we might be fully prepared for that. Now we've looked at the encounter. We've looked at the equipment. Notice thirdly, the energy. Where does the soldier in Christ get his energy to engage in the battle? Look at verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Some have said that this should be included as a weapon, and well, it could be. Others have noted that prayer is the the buckle that keeps things together. But the important thing is that prayer is that which provides the energy for a Christian to do that. We need to be praying. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is not turning in a grocery list to God. Lord, give me this, give me that. It means that you and I recognize our enemy and we want to lay hold of God for spiritual resources. And that is what energizes a Christian soldier. We lay hold of God for that which is spiritual that we might be filled with the fullness of God. Now Paul distinguishes here between prayer and supplication. Now prayer is general. Supplication is specific. But all effective prayer must be in the Spirit. Now, if we're going to be victorious in the battle, notice some of the important words that we've looked at in this passage. You find in verse 10, the word strong. In verse 11, you find the word able. In verse 13, you find the word able again. In verse 11, you go back there, you find whole armor. In verse 13, you find whole armor. In verse 11, you have the word stand. In verse 13, withstand and stand again. Verse 14 uses the word stand. And then verse 18 says, always, all, all, all. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching Thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. God doesn't want any halfway, part-time soldiers. We need to commit. We need to surrender to Him. But the energy comes through our prayer. Notice, fourthly, the example. And here in verses 19 and 20, we find an example or two, actually. We find Paul's example. It says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery 
of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray, but pray for me as well. Paul is asking for prayer on behalf of himself, and as he comes to the conclusion of this letter, he moves into an area that's very personal. He was a prisoner in Rome, and he was suffering from a thorn in the flesh, and yet he doesn't ask prayer for the physical handicaps to be removed, does he? He says, don't, don't pray for me and my healing. Don't pray for my physical needs. Pray that I may proclaim courageously the mystery of the gospel. He says, to make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is a mystery that was not revealed in the Old Testament as it is now. The New Testament reveals that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And this is the gospel and the message that Paul was preaching. And he says, I am an ambassador in bonds. Paul had just written about the spiritual warfare. And now he's saying that we should see that he was experiencing the onslaught of the enemy at the very moment that he's writing. He says, that therein I may speak boldly. Paul asked for prayer that he may speak the gospel with boldness. That ought to be our prayer. That ought to be our prayer for one another. We need that same prayer. We need a boldness to declare the word of God. And then there's another example here in verses 21 and 22. It says, but that you also know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye may know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Tychicus not only carried the the epistle to the Ephesian believers, but he was also giving a personal account of the conditions of and the prospects for the Apostle Paul. I believe Tychicus was the pastor of the Ephesian church. And he's an example of how many faithful servants of Christ were in the early churches and how they ought to be today. The Apostle Paul had great confidence in him in him, that he may comfort your hearts. Tychicus was would allay any fears that the Ephesians might have about the condition of the Apostle Paul. And the brotherly love exhibited at the early churches is an undertone of all of Paul's epistles. We find here that Paul had a real concern for the brethren. I think it was General Douglas MacArthur that said, old soldiers do not die, they just fade away. Then notice Paul's farewell in verses 23 and 24. He says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. You find here, first of all, peace. The Hebrew is shalom form of greeting in the Jewish world. Now, a, a sinner must know the grace of God before he can experience the peace of God. 
And again, this is a peace that comes to those who know the Lord as their Savior, and it's a peace that passes all understanding. And then there's love for other believers. Love is a, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. A love for the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. There's faith. That means faith in Christ, which produces that active love. These flow from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's grace. And grace is a key word in this epistle. You go back to chapter 1 and verse 2, grace to you. It says in chapter 2, verse 7, grace in his kindness. Chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace are you saved. Now it concludes this epistle and it's a fitting word because it is God's grace which saved us and it's God's grace that sustains us day by day. So I trust that as we meditate and think about these things here that we'll understand what Paul is saying to us that we need to be fitted with the whole armor of God and uh, we need to also be praying one for another to be a faithful witness for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this study in the book of Ephesians that we've had. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we think about these things and uh, meditate upon them, that we'll understand what uh, Paul was giving to us in the sense of encouragement to church at Ephesus. Thank you, Lord, those who faithfully ministered alongside of me. I pray, Lord, that you'll see that faithfulness here in our church as well. You'll see uh, our folks uh, putting on the whole armor of God. You'll see our folks uh, experiencing the peace of God love for one another. The faith in which Christ which Christ produces and then the grace. And we're so thankful for your wonderful grace. Your amazing grace. Giving us something we certainly did not deserve. Or made us uh, move us and motivate us to greater service for you. Praying in Jesus' name.